Thank you so much, guys. Always great hearing from all of you. Let's talk agriculture now, talking agribusiness or agriculture and estate planning. When the farm is the largest single asset in the estate, parents face an immediate dilemma. How to divide it among children who are working in the agribusiness and those who aren't? The first instinct might be to pass on equal shares in the agribusiness. If pressed as to how this will work from the younger generation's standpoint, they usually respond by saying that those in the agribusiness should be given voting control. So there are issues there. This is according to Farmers Weekly. Let's unpack this. Lisa Griffith, Associate Director of the Wealth Advisors Division at BDO, joins us uh, to talk. Uh, Lisa, thanks for making time for us this Thursday. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Asanda, and good morning to you and our very special club of listeners who are up at this hour. Where do we even begin when we start to look at this? Because there's an issue of fairness, but then there's also an issue of a business decision when it comes to uh, agricultural estate planning. So what should parents start by doing here, whether to decide of where the family farm will go and and how their shares will be distributed? Exactly, Asanda. You've hit the nail right on the head. Um, most peop- most parents, the automatic thought, the go-to thought is divide my estate equally between my children. That's uh, that's uh, what the, well, the way a parent would think. But that doesn't really work out generally in the case of a farm because you can't divide up a farm. There are legal restrictions to doing it. That's the land. Mm. And, and then there are other problems as well, like if you were to leave the actual farm, the land, to your one child and the plant and implement to the other child and the cash in the bank to the other one, how is the one who got the farm going to farm? He needs a tractor mm. and he needs a bit of cash, normally quite a lot, to finance the next year's crop or the next year's production. So it's a very tricky business, it really is, and it's got to be thought through very thoroughly because as you can understand, there's huge opportunities opportunities for family fights dissension right there yeah when when the parents go and i mean uh, the fact that a farm takes some time to you know build up in, in productivity and and seeing it yielding results also might add to the complexity of it because even if we say okay let's do it at the beginning and sit everyone down before uh, while we're starting with the farm things will change after 3 to 4 years correct Exactly. And then there's also perceptions. Very often, those children who are not involved in the day-to-day running of the agribusiness or the farming operations, they might believe that those who are involved, A, have had an advantage to being, being employed in the business, and B, that the business might be a lot more affluent than in fact it actually is. Yeah. So what, what to, to be done? What is your advice then for those planning, uh, the estate planning for their agribusiness? Well, sit down with their professional advisors. And the various structures which are favoured by farmers involving um, trusts and companies. And if um, the size of the operation warrants that, that's what you've got to do. You know, you uh, put the land and taps into the trust and put the farming operations into the company and say that they says, I don't want to be too prescriptive because there are many different mm. solutions. But if it's a smaller operation, sometimes the costs of setting those, up those structures are just prohibitive. It might not be possible. 
There's also, and, yes. And yes. then you've really got to make the hard decision. Yeah. There's also a situations where uh, farms are on lease, but it's like a 30-year lease, a 10-year lease, 20-year leases. Uh, what should happen in those situations? Because after some time, the, the farms do get acquired after the lease period. Once it's you know discovered that there has been production in the farm, and then there's that becomes that option to buy. Should, should people still also be thinking about sitting down with a, a planner even in that situation? Oh yes, oh yes, because clause, clauses can be put into the lease at an early stage when it's not an issue and when all the parties are friendly, the leasor and the leasee, and are put into. Um, to ensure that the lease will carry on to the heirs. But it, at the end, when the person dies, who's a leasee, if there's those clauses aren't in place, and if it's in, the lease is in the name of a person, not a company, for example, yeah. then, then there's a problem who takes over the lease at that stage. When there are partnerships involved or cooperations, or, or, uh, yeah, what happens there? Cooperatives, rather, sorry. Okay, so that's even more complex, Sandra, yeah. because you've got carpenters. The one good thing about carpenters is most of them are pretty well organized, in my experience. They have, um, they set up their charter and their rules about how they're going to operate and what will happen if one of them dies. The, the more dangerous model is the informal partnership, mm. where two good guys decide, hey, we're going to raise cattle. And they do raise cattle, and they raise them well, and then one of them dies, and there's nothing in writing. You can imagine what chaos can um, can erupt from there, and the fact that these, it's so personal. Yeah. And if there's no agreement, even if there is an agreement, it's personal. But at least if there's an agreement between them, a partnership agreement, that the, in the event of death, A, B, C, D will happen, you've got something to work with and to keep everyone focused. Yeah, and I mean, as we've said before, uh, with all wills and plans like this, there must be uh, updating of, of things to the plan and a communication. Yes, yes, absolutely, definitely. And, and and you've put your finger on it there again, Asanda, is that communication is the key. It really is. And um, in my generation, communication in the family was, was not something that was emphasized. It really wasn't. But um, we've all realised we've got to talk more. And uh, mm. the parents must communicate to the children why they've made certain decisions, preferably with family meetings. I'm a great believer in family meetings. You call a family meeting. And now, this is not an election, Sunday. This is a family meeting. And myself as the parent, I'm calling it. And I, I'm going to hear you, but I'm actually going to tell you the way I see that my estate is going to go. Because if it, if you make it democratic, everyone's going to have their own point of view. Mm. So you must present them what you feel uh, and what you intend to do and then hear everyone out. And you, that their input may uh, require you to change things a little, but you need mm. to have those family meetings. And if you're too chicken to do the family meeting, and that's not just the chicken farmers, two chickens to do <laughs> yeah. the, the family meeting. The very least you should do is a letter to your family yeah. um, to be opened after your death explaining why you've done certain things. Mm. And that can prevent a lot of harm. And
and also stop that strife between your the siblings. Absolutely. Because they well, don't understand. They take it out on each other. Mm. Well, let's leave it there for today. Thank you so much for enlightening us, Lisa. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Sandra. Have a fabulous day. Thanks. You too. Lisa Griffith is Associate Director of the Wealth.